To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Larry Ose Menseth, today's guest, uh, is one of the biggest, I could say, forces and curators of black art. Um, and is using this as a form to kind of redefine how we see ourselves and the world around us. He's the co-founder of Art Noir, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to drive racial equity in the art world. And he's an angel investor who's organized many exhibitions um, and programs at both commercial and nonprofit spaces for prominent and rising creatives of color. Before he paints a deeper picture around what he's all about, I would love to know when you hear culture, what does that mean to you, my friend? Uh, when when I well, thank you for you know inviting me on here. Um, when I hear culture, I just think about flavor. I think about black and brown folks, whether it's African American from the diaspora, Southeast Asia, Latin America. I think all the things that make our lives rich and interesting. Um, flavorful, whether that's food, fashion, music. Um, I think all the things that kind of make life worthwhile. And I think, you know, for many of us who work in this space, whether it's in the visual arts or whether it's through advertising or cinema, we are all creating things that add value to our daily lives. And so for me, it's about adding value, adding flavor, and, you know, making life interesting. Yeah, value and flavor, two very strong descriptives for that. Um, I, I gave a very high level breakdown on you. I, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself um, for the people before we get deep into the convo of your presence within this art culture space. Yeah. So Larry Ose Mensa, I am first generation Ghanaian American born in Harlem, raised in the Bronx. I came to art first through music. So from my junior year of high school to senior year of college, I actually interned at different record companies because I wanted to be a record man. I wanted to be where everybody was trying to be Puff. I wanted to be LRE. Oh, interesting. You know? Okay. And and give, think, the, give, the, give the differentiation. Give the difference. What well, What's the difference? So I think, so I think you know, Puff is, uh, and this is all from watching from a distance. I mean, definitely entrepreneurial, uh, innovative, but LA for me is someone who's just aged like a fine wine, mm. right? Going from being a drummer, <laughs> you know, to songwriting, to, you know, with Babyface building the face and changing the conversation around music in the South. And it's just, you know, Puff is dope. Like, I admire what he does and what he's been able to do in music, in the spirit space. But L.A. is just, like, that smooth cat. Like, I was at Usher, I think, uh, last month for my birthday. And I saw L.A. with Shaka Zulu. And it, the families. Still looking swole. I'm like, you know? <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's him, Puff, a Jerry Wexler, Quincy Jones. I wanted to be a record man 
in terms of like identifying the talent, cultivating them, and then giving them a platform, right? Mm -hmm. But I kind of realized that music was not going to be the platform for me to do that, you know, because it was just things that I saw structurally within the business. And I'm also in it, you know, when it's going from physical to digital and they didn't know what to do. Right. You know, um, so I kind of pivoted out of that, worked in advertising. Um, but that experience gives me the foundation in terms of how I think about art and commerce, right? And the possibilities for a creative to create a sustainable, um, hopefully fiscal sustainable life and career. And so that still guides a lot of the decisions I make. You know, my friends who stayed in the business, they're all senior level execs. They're collecting, so it's great to talk to them right. about, like, their journey on that end, but, you know, did advertising. They went to grad school uh, to study marketing and hospitality management. So I moved to Switzerland and, you know, part of, part of this was inspired by um, reading Quincy Jones's book, you know, and just thinking about like him, Baldwin, Nina Simone, like, all of these incredible creatives, they had to step away from what was happening here to find who they were as an individual, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had an opportunity to do some work with the World Economic Forum that introduced me to Switzerland and a lot of my community there. I ironically met Quincy and, you know, I was 24 at the time. So you, as a 24-year-old, you want the secret to life. That's right. So, like, one answer, but he says, travel and see the world and see how other people live. That is the best education you're ever going to get. That's right. And so I took that to heart. And so that's where like the nickname Young Global came from. But, you know, I've just been on this journey. So I was on this journey Friday myself, you know, and started doing photography when I moved back to the States from school. And I realized that being a photographer wasn't like, my thing but the mm -hmm. art thing the community the camaraderie was my thing so it was like finding out okay how can i participate you know so writing about artists and curating exhibitions and i think within curation i've kind of found my artistic path mm -hmm. right because that's still a collaboration with artists galleries institutions but it allows me to have uh, a lot more control in the storytelling and uh, the platforms that I use. So I started curating in 2008, but I was also working a job, nine to five. And in 2015, uh, I was working at Nickelodeon doing digital marketing. And, you know, I was super open about what I was doing in the arts. It wasn't like a secret life. Right, right, right. And and um, my uh, boss at the time, Angelita Sierra, who gave me one of the greatest gifts by firing me. That she part. Like, Say that again. Say that again. The great, greatest gifts. You know, I think at the time, you know, I was 35, I'm 43 now. And uh, I had read this Jack Ma quote, if he's 35 and broke, he deserve it. And I was like, yeah, Damn, that's like a gut punch. But I got what he said in terms of like, if you're not really chasing what it is that feeds you. What are you doing? What's the point? You know? And so... She offered me an opportunity to step into the fullness of myself. Mm. You know, so it wasn't like 
you're done Friday. Like I had like three months notice, but she was like, look, you're really passionate about this thing and it would be a disservice to yourself to not go for it full time. You can always find a marketing job. You know, but you're not going to have many opportunities, you know, because I'm not married. I don't have children. So my responsibilities are just kind of like my immediate family and myself. And so your why not go for it? And my purpose. And so, uh, so from 2015 until now, I've been curating full time. Uh, co-founded Art Noir in 2013, which is a collective, which for me has been an extension of the practice, but allows me to tap into, you know, that marketing, advertising, organizing, gathering kind of skill set with six other co-founders. So I could do my thing. And then when we need to kind of expand the reach, then it's like we come together like Voltron and then, you know, do it in a much more broader sense. What a, what a beautiful journey to walk everyone through of how you got here. And there's so many elements that make what you do and the level in which you do it so well make even more sense. Like, I didn't know about your extensive passion and love for music at the level in which uh, you were. Finding out the gift of being fired by somebody and how you... Because everything is, is positioning and perspective, right? Totally. And and you had you had a total understanding of this was this was forcing you even more to step into your purpose and the thing that you were passionate about so much so everybody says you know don't quit your day job you didn't quit your day dream right uh yeah oh so a, a mutual friend ingrid came on here oh, and, yeah, and yeah. dropped that one and that that hit me said never quit your daydream you can quit your day job never quit your daydream and we're so programmed to think the opposite so to hear it happen to you, not with the quitting, but the forcing, quote unquote, like losing a job, but somebody knowing there's something bigger for you out there is so great. And when I hear you talk, I go back to the music piece when you talked about the LAs and the Puffs and their influence and kind of how you saw yourself growing into that space. I think in general, you know, with talent and artists, you know, sometimes are, are only as good as a team that represents them, right? Yeah, exactly. And when I look at you, represent you and how you represent yourself you are the type of leader that's so necessary to lead the charge of what i call elevating and evolving this black art culture and your vision and your passion as many have already hearing around the diaspora is so necessary and super refreshing with with your involvement within the art world what was the moment for you that you remember clearly when black art in particular um started to play a, a, a big, big influence in youth culture or culture as we know it today? So I, I often answer that question with like, from this perspective, that people who are invested in it, it's always played a role, mm. right? Because if you look at something like the Cosby show, people don't realize that a lot of the art was curated. It wasn't arbitrary. Those are masters. That's right. right? So I that think, well, whose work was on the wall? Mm, I wouldn't say he probably had like um like Norman Lewis, a lot of kind of black abstract artists. Right. Um, but he was gently advocating, right? Because I think people don't really realize how much T V in the eighties in particular shaped our uh visual understanding of what life could be as a person. Forget like as a black person, right? Because like yeah. 
one of the many things I did, me and my friend Style Akira, we wrote a book chapter looking at how television influences internal interior aesthetics, right? Mm-hmm. And so to, after the war, you get the TV. Before that, you don't really know what somebody's house looked like unless you went there. Or you right. in a serious catalog. And so, you know, for me, I think we've always been there. But I would say within the last 10 years in terms of like an, an amplification, I would say last 10 years, right? So for me, a turning point is when Oaken Wien was a, you know, incredible mind curator, curated the Venice Biennial in 2015, right? And I believe he might have been the first black curator of Nigerian descent. And he was like, if you're a curator, for most curators, he was like the dude. He was right. suave. He was smart. Like, I would just watch his YouTube videos just to, like, study his diction and how he said things. Right? And he curated this masterpiece of a biennial. And for those who don't know what a biennial is, it's almost like the Olympics of art. Mm. Right? And it happens every two years. I believe Venice is the oldest one. And to see all these black and brown folks in Venice to experience what this man and his team put together, you know, to sit on the canal with my buddy Steven Burks, who's an incredible artist and industrial designer. I was like, oh, things are changing. That's right. The pendulum is, is, is shifting, you know? And then I think, you know, artists like Kehinde Wiley and what he's been able to do in terms of like, really amplifying the culture, you know. And you can go back to when he did Hip Hop Honors and he did the paintings right. of the different folks, right? That's right. Um, I think about artists like Solange Knowles when, you know, when the last album, not this one, the one before, with Cranes in the Sky, and she's doing all these concerts in museums, you know. Um so there are a multitude of moments, but I think what's been, what's really been helpful is just the internet, social media. Right. Um, I think this reconnection between art and fashion and music, because in the eighties, if you think about like yo MCV raps, they used to have these vignettes with artists, mm-hmm. and that's for some reason went away. Right, and there's this belief that you know, these various forms of creative expression are separate when they're very one and the same, particularly if you're talking about um, urban centers, black and brown communities. Like, you could be a poet as much as you're a musician, as much as you're a painter. Like, Miles Davis was a painter. That's right. A pretty good good, pretty good painter. That's right. right? Um, and you had a lot of cats like David Hammonds, who, like, is super inspired by jazz. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's 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 always been there in our communities. I think it's just now it's kind of mushroomed, right? Now we have all these tools at our disco- uh, at our disposal in terms of um, discovery, in terms of engagement. Obviously, things have changed with regard to institutions. Being able to like you know the exhibition I have up at the Seattle Art Museum. Being able to go to museums and see work by f- folks that look like me and you. That's right. Um, That's right. So it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a constellation of kind of moments, you know, and yeah. there's still so much work that needs to, to be done. So much, so much. Uh, agree. And so w- with that, in, in your opinion, w- what's the unique impact of black art 
on overall our culture and why do you think it's so important to kind of celebrate and support that? Well, I think black art, art from the diaspora is intuitive. Good, good. Though. So let me make a decision. Yeah. Just because you make it up doesn't mean it's good. Right? So good art, um, it is intuitive, it's evocative, it invites questions, it invites reflection, um, it stirs the spirit. You don't need to necessarily explain it. Right? And so... There's a history of that if you're thinking about, you know, what they term outsider artists. I like to call them intuitive. Artists who are just self-taught. Artists right. who just need to make, right? And That's they right. just need create. to kind of like create. And I think, you know, our diaspora, our community has just always been the leaders of that. I mean, if you think about from a music standpoint, I think almost every form of American music was created by black folks. Mm. So jazz, blues, rock and roll, hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, reggaeton, <laughs> you yep. know. Um, and so I think the capacity for black creatives, creatives with their ass, but to kind of timestamp what's happening in their community. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whether it's be in the moment or be ahead of the moment in terms of setting the trends. And a lot of that comes from necessity. Mm. Right? So like, you know, I often tell people in addition to music, graffiti is my entry point to art. I, I can see that. Yep. That's right. That's you right. Know, all over. Yeah. If you just if you Google pictures of the Bronx, you have these beautiful mosaics. That's right. Of art. Public art. That for me is the first public art on train. One thousand percent. Those were the canvases we saw pictures painted on in our childhood. Walls, train. Yeah. And the, and a lot of that is out of necessity to express, necessity of frustration. Um, and so I think we've unfortunately always had to navigate um being pushed to the margins. And then, you know, using our creative expression to push back. Mm. And I think it's only really now the last 20, 30 years that, you know, we're probably more consistently monetizing that expression and then creating pipelines for other people to come through and do their thing. Which is you know, the goal. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think... It's intuitive, it's raw, it's evocative, and it's just soulful, right? For yeah. me, I always tell artists, when I'm mentoring artists, like, I know 100 people more talented than you are. And so it's not about just talent. That's right. How do you excavate your inner feelings and put that out and express that through whatever medium you're choosing to express it? That's what people are going to connect to. Yeah, and I think all those descriptives that you just uh, beautifully articulated are key superpowers that I think we bring to way more things than we even give ourselves credit or or pay attention to, right? So it's such a a superpower that many of us need to re-engage with um, and and utilize for the betterment of the change that is definitely necessary um, within our day-to-day lives. And when, when I, when I think of that, and then as a, as I look at the culture, right, as the culture, as we know it right now, how do we kind of shift this mindset of 
the purchasing and investing in art as an asset over some of the many things that we found what I call our comfort in putting our money towards for years, cars, clothes, accessories, all the things. I think there's a significant shift uh, that can take place. Um, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how we can do that piece. Well, I think for individuals who are interested in, cause I'd like to say that, you know, I'm a steward of the art in my collection. You know, I can't take it with me when I'm no longer here. That's not right. something I can, you know. And so for me, it's like deciding what you're in it for, right? Because if it's purely investment, you're going to go down one particular path in terms of like really trying to identify artists who you feel have an upward trajectory that, you know, down the line, there's a profit potential that can be realized, right? And then... You have people who are in it because, you know, they have a family and they want their children to grow up with images or iconography that emboldens their identity as individuals, right? But you can also have both. I was just about to so, say, and, and both can provide the same outcome of what I would think is hopefully generational wealth. Yeah. Figuratively and yeah. literally. Yeah. And I think, but the thing is like, figuratively is not always guaranteed. I mean, that's a seasoned eye and a lot of yep. research and all that stuff. But I think um, in terms of psychographic and culture, yes, right? And so I think it's this understanding, like, what's going to really add value to your life? Like, a car, unless it's a particular car that's going to be worth something down the line, is just a machine, right? And I think, you know, it's getting out of this habit of also trying to impress each other. That's right. right. You know, and, and like, really, what's going to feed you personally, feed your family, and it's going to create that generational wealth and understanding, but also um, confidence, right? You know, like, I love it. My friends now who have children, like, I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago with my friend's daughter, and I was looking through, like, some, some images or something, and she's five mm -hmm. i'm like what do you think of these she was like i like this one i don't like this one i like that one i'm like why and she was able to art clearly articulate articulate that yeah because i think also like you know not to sound like hokey but i would say like if you are blessed to have a family i would say that's the primary reason because art's capacity to give kids the tools to develop cognitive understanding and expression, you know, it's bar none. That's why you see some communities, their kids are playing the piano, right? That's Not right. because they want to become a concert pianist, but it's developing a muscle in the mind that, you know, a book can't always give you, right? Um, but I think also just kind of realizing that things like clothes, again, if it's not specific things, if it ain't that, Birkin bag that's going going to be worth something and have some stored right. value. It's it's you know, it's fleeting, right? So what are the things that are not fleeting that are self sustaining that will evolve? I mean, think about like the painting behind you, how like your relationship will change with that over time. That's right. You know, and there are very few things in life that that do that. You know, beyond art, maybe a song like. 
music is probably comparable, maybe cinema. But like, imagine going to see a painting. Cause I mean, it's happened to me. Like, a painting I've been looking at for two years, and one day I just kind of realized this one little detail. That's right. A hidden I'm discovery like, oh. that comes up. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think it's about prioritizing. I think yeah. at the end of the day, um, things have gotten better. Generally, there's still a lot of work to be done. You know, Supreme Court striking down affirmative action. But I think you have a lot more friends and colleagues with disposable income. I said, now it's, you know, collectively, not that you want to count people's pockets, but what are you doing with that money that is going to enrich your life, your family's life? And potentially could have a future value. Yeah, you know? and and you you talk you said you said a whole lot of amazing things, but when you talk about prioritization, and and you talked about the correlation to that with your children and the confidence that art can bring them, I thought that was a very powerful thing because as parents, um, you know, children are gifts from God, and it's our job to ensure that we're pouring into them and figuring out how they're bent and resourcing whatever those things are, right? And getting behind it. And part of doing that is building a firm foundation of self-awareness, of confidence and boldness, unapologetic, right? And the way you articulated how art can play a role within that was powerful for me to even hear, right? As I look at the artwork I have in my home for my three daughters, you know, not I didn't even think about, okay, now they get to see art of, of beautiful images that happen to look like them and what that's reinforcing to them. That's a that's a tool in the toolbox of how we're investing in the confidence in the platform of our youth to become the best versions of themselves. So I'm I'm grateful that you 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 hit that from a prioritization standpoint, right? In terms of the why. And so within that there's got to be some artists that have done some amazing things and I would love to hear it, can, can you highlight a specific example of a black artist whose work has made a significant impact on the art world and why their success is kind of crucial to the larger conversation of supporting black artists? Man, I mean, there's, uh, there's so many examples. Uh, I'm trying to meditate on like who would be great. Well, one, I mean, right here, and you can, and you can tell it's important because it's, 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 it's right in front of you. Chris O'Feely, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris O'Feely. I'm not. Um, British Nigerian artist, part of the YBAs, young British artists. Um, it's a crew of them. So like him, Damien Hurst, Tracy Emmons, they all came out of art school at the same time and basically shook up the art world in, in the UK in the early nice. 90s. Um, but what I love about Chris's work is that he's thinking about um, myth, folklore, our relationship to religion, and the image making is just like I'm trying to. I'll look for a quick example if I can find one. Um, just images like this, you know. Right. I don't know if you can see it. Okay, and it's like, is this one of those things where, like, if I was a painter, I saw it, I'd be like, damn, I gotta get back in the studio. I gotta get yeah, I gotta get on my grind because they they out there doing it. Yeah, and it's just like you know he's been able, he's a master at his craft, right? Yeah. And I think 
you know, representing it from a diaspora standpoint, you know, he was living in Trinidad for a little bit, you know, but like telling that black bread story, which is a story that we don't always hear. No, no, not at all. You know, but I think just the power of his imagination, you know, a Carrie James Marshall was another master. Um, you know, Puff bought that piece a couple years ago um, for a couple bucks. and <laughs> But he's like the level of excellence, right? And then I think about uh, someone like an Alma Thomas or someone who I love, uh, a Lorna Simpson, you know. Yes. New York City through and through. And, you know, started off with, like, image-making through collage and then evolving into painting and sculpture. Carrie Mae Weaves, who's from Portland, you know. Yeah. Uh, and is, like, a queen, you know. I would say more contemporary, Simone Lee. Okay. You know, Simone represented the U.S. in the last Venice Biennial. And just, like, and also... With Rashida Bumbray organized the loophole of retreat, which was a um, uh, a conference that was centering the voices of Black women. You know, we were invited; men were invited to participate as witnesses, but see, right. to see this gathering, right, of hundreds of women, women in engaging, the space, like love that powerful. It's one of those, That's it's, powerful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those experiences where like. If I saw you and just said loophole, you'd be like, "Yeah, it's like it's a like short it's game. right?" Yeah. So I think I think Chris and Carrie, you know, I think Simone, what she's been able to do in terms of use the platform and then extend, mm-hmm. and now create these moments of convening, the Astro Gates, what he's been able to do uh, with the Stony Island um, Art Bank, taking the old bank in the South Side. Converting it into an institution. You got the Johnson Publishing archive in there, Frankie Knuckles archive in there. You know, so I think it's a cut for me personally, it's folks who like do it at a level of excellence in their craft, but then understand that, all right, how do I create platforms that extend my influence? So like right. Candy Wiley and BlackRock. You know, I've gone to BlackRock like three times, you know, and what does it mean to be a son of the diaspora to go spend time in this space, beautiful space and be able to create, mm-hmm. right. You know, and on my own terms. And it, there isn't this, um, struggle per se. It's just like, these are the things that you deserve. That's right. Right. And how do you lean into that? And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an exciting time. And, I mean, you have young artists, like someone who I'm super bullish on, Chase Hall, who's going to have an exhibition in New York um, at David Kordansky and Pace mm-hmm. Prince. So he's giving you a DMX double album, two shows, opening yeah. two days apart in September. Um, but super astute brother, um, painting, photography, sculpture, so it's 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 a multitude of folks. And I think, you know, for me, if there's anything I can encourage people to do is to see as much art as you can. You right. Because that's how you right. digest, take it in, absorb, 
absorb, be a sponge. You know, and, and along these lines, as you went down all these amazing individuals, I'm looking at this art culture very similar to that as the stock market, right? And looking yeah. to find and share those artists who may be on the verge of like this major trajectory. Who are three artists that you would share as someone to kind of invest in now while their rates may be a little bit more accessible than they probably will be in the very near future? Yeah, so I mean, for me, when I think about investment, it's investing in the artist's ideas and the practice. So I think definitely um, Chase Hall, I mean, Chase um, has a show in Aspen, two-person show with um, Jackson Pollock. So imagine this young brother's work is in conversation with Jackson Pollock, who is revered by many, right? And he's mm. tussling with Pollock's work. Um, who else? That's that's approachable. <laughs> that's 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 a good question. Yeah, um, that's all relative, right? But yeah, I think um, Abani Ramirez, uh, dope artist from Dominican Republic, based here in the Tri-State area. It's going to have an incredible solo show at Daesh Gallery this fall. Um, Tamashi Jackson, who's also an incredible artist who has an exhibition now at the MCA Denver. Uh, Katura Davis, LA-based artist. Katura and I have been friends since I started in the game. Um, nice. And to see her evolve as an artist now as a mom artist um and we got a collaboration that's going to be dropping in the fall it's nice. super dope uh let me think who else uh oh i will show you but <laughs> deborah roberts okay who's an incredible artist um og based in austin texas nice he's gonna be in an exhibition that i'm putting together in brazil and then um let me try to... oh lila Faye. There you go. No, you gave you giving a lot of leads. I just asked for three. You didn't gave people no, but five Lee, and six. Lee, Lee, but Leela Faye, because she's in that window. So there's a window of time. Right. You got to kind of make a decision. That's right. So That's I right. Met, I met I met Leela when they were at school. You know, we kept it. We keep in touch. You know, and I was you know blessed to have an opportunity to get one of her drawings. She had an incredible uh, solo show at Company Gallery. And it's just like, for me, you also, I encourage people, pay attention to what's coming out of the studio. Mm, okay. Right? Because I think one thing that I talk to artists about, particularly emerging artists, your capacity to edit what comes out of the studio sometimes is a different speaker. Because mm. just because you made it doesn't mean it's good. That right? part. And you, and you have some people, think about it in music. You got some people who kind of succumb to the pressure of like, I, I need to do a thousand features or I need to drop this single. Less is know, more. As opposed to, yeah. And I think if everything that's coming out of the studio is, you know, a heat missile, then it's just like it creates more demand. Mm. More people want to, they want to be engaged with your practice. Well, right. like if you got stuff coming out the studio that's a little uneven, and I'm I'm gonna call it out. I mean, I won't blow them up online, but I will definitely have a conversation with the artist. Like, yeah, that you should, as you should. I don't I don't know about that one. Or tell me, talk to me about why. You know, because they well, mean right. Why you felt this one should come out the studio? Yeah, but I think 
looking at what's coming out the studio, judging the consistency, judging the innovation, right? So like another one of my my brothers, Derek Forjour, who's going to have an exhibition this fall in New York, always trying to push the practice, always trying to innovate um, and, and just take it to the next level and surprise you, right? And I think for me, that's the delight where I go see a show and like, damn, I didn't expect that, you know? I think that's why you are such a great steward in this space because of your ability to also artic or speak to when you think something may be off or be able to share those notes or those nuggets or at least embark on that conversation with the artist as to the why, right? Because so often we don't want to share the things that we feel might be a miss or a concern or a question. And with that, I would then say, so So, what are some of the barriers and challenges that Black artists face in terms of receiving, you know, whether it's recognition and, and the financial support, and how can we address and overcome those obstacles? Um... I think one of the biggest challenges is, you know, visibility. Like, how do you get your work seen? Mm -hmm. um, but then I think also people taking risk, you know, because you have a quotient of people who will support an artist because they saw their name on the list or because I said something, mm -hmm. right? And then you have artists who are super talented whose name may never get mentioned, but you may see it and be like, wow, this is interesting. But are you willing to take the risk to support that person's practice and ideas? Mm -hmm. um, I think mentorship, I think we need more mentorship, not just yeah. for art artists in terms of being an artist, but artists as being entrepreneurs. Right. right. Because I think that's a huge gap right now where like you got artists who, you know, and I had this conversation this morning where like during COVID, everybody's home, flipping through Instagram, I love this painting. People are buying left and right like it's Amazon. But those artists weren't given the tools to understand that, all right, you know, how do I incorporate myself as a business? How do I make sure my taxes mm -hmm. are paid? How do I take this this big bag that I just got and go buy some? So, so my cats who bought it. property, like the cats who I know who bought property, I'm like, you're good. Because, like, mm -hmm. you may never sell another painting, but you got a roof over your head. It's paid for. And you could do your thing. That's right. Whether people are That's looking right. or not. You know, so I think the business part and the financial literacy part, I think, for me are key barriers because you have artists who are getting opportunities and don't know how to negotiate. Mm. You know, so like someone will say, Hey, I want to give you an exhibition. These are the terms. And you know, work in the business, everything's negotiable. Everything. If no, everything is a negotiation. You know, and if 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 it's the will of these two parties to collaborate, then everybody has to be happy to a degree. That's right. You know? That's right. Um, I think the other thing that I'm finding to be a challenge is that, and it's a piggyback to that point where like you have artists working with galleries who are spiking their price points, you know, with no real kind of reasoning. Mm -hmm. And then the artist goes cold or they have a show that's a dud and they can't move anything. Mm -hmm. It's too expensive. Right? Um, your work went from five to fifteen thousand, 
I was with you at five. I may have been with you at 7,500. Right. But like you haven't done anything to warrant the 15,000. Right. You know, and, and you're not making appropriate business decisions in collaboration with these galleries, which are business partners. They're not your savior. They're not your whatever. Like they're a bit, they're a sales force in some yeah. regards, not all galleries. Some galleries are incredible. So I want to be clear about that, but they are a partner that's helping distribute your work to potential parties who want to be in support of that. And a lot of artists just take what's given to them. I mean, it's very different. Like I remember, I don't know who was I. I was watching an interview with someone and thinking about the, in the record industry. And it's like, there's a standard deal. Mm. And it's like, and I think it was the Russell was like, if it's standard, I don't want it. Right. That's right. right? You know? And I think there are certain standards, but there's still things that you can bake in to be specific to your situation. Right. Um, I mean, I think for me, that's a key thing. Cause I think there are enough platforms to access artists and to get to it, but the artists don't know what to do when the opportunities come, when the money comes. Paying right. So it's that, that entrepreneurship business acumen. Yeah. yeah. Because, because if you go to art school, they're not teaching you that. That's right. You know, and then like, if you're an intuitive artist who's self-taught, then you either got to do it through research or have a mentor or life. someone. Yeah, we need life. some game. Yeah. Um, so these these are all such great things. And as I look at you, again, being a steward, and these, there's this next generation of artists, right? How do you or how can we encourage and inspire young Black artists to pursue careers in the arts, right? And, and what resources or initiatives do you think are necessary to kind of provide them with a solid foundation to succeed? Well, so I would say, you know, if you're talking about curators and collectors and other stakeholders, you know, build a relationship with the artist, mm. right? Just don't make it transactional, you know, because I think it's also very easy. You see an artist on thread, Instagram, whatever, and you're like, wow, I love their work. You DM them and it's like, what do you have available? And I tell people, nah, just do a studio visit with them. Whether that's virtual or in person and like, understand who they are. Understand what their ambitions are. Understand what their pain points are because maybe the skill set you have may be able to fill that gap or you may be able to introduce them. You know, I mean, so much of what makes being in this ecosystem Special is the relationships that you build. Yes. Right. And the community, um, and the community that you become a part of. Exactly. And so I think really identifying artists that you want to be part of your community, your network, right? Because some of these relationships are lifelong. Um, you know, I, mentored, I mentioned mentorship. Uh, I think we need more artist residency programs, right? Because everybody isn't necessarily going to go do an MFA. Mm -hmm. whether they don't have the interest or can't afford it. So what are some alternative opportunities where you can still get this camaraderie of being with other artists? Um, and then I would say to artists, particularly black artists, you know, build your foundation of collectors, black collectors, right? I think far too often, and it's not just an artist in the multitude of industries, you get a couple of people, you get a little bit of energy, 
behind the practice and then you forget the people who were there from the beginning. That's right. Right. And then, you know, life is life and life will correct it things. You know, right. karma happens. Karma karma happens. <laughs> you know? And who are you gonna call? That's right. Right? But if you got that foundation of collectors who were supporting you from the beginning, because what I think artists don't realize is that these become your evangelists. You know, when they're hosting podcasts, dinner parties, oh, who's this? And being able to like give a coherent background. This is just a art artist who bought online. No, this is an artist, Joe Schmo, Jackie Joe from Brooklyn. I met them, you know, they're a third generation weaver, like being able yeah. to tell their story and being an now, It's crazy that you mentioned that because this is like a full circle moment. You know, I had the the pleasure of going to the studio for Brandon Diener, who I believe you're, you're, you're aware of. And he was a guest on the show. And going into his studio, you were 1,000% correct. The connection that was built in seeing his craft and the environment in which he was creating, the things he was creating in his why, gave me a deeper appreciation for his craft that I then became an extension and an advocate for him, right? Having him on the show connected him to our very dear friend, mutual dear friend of Glenn, right? All these things I just did because of the experience and that time that was spent in that space, getting the true feel for now, the creative and the experience and the craft. So I, I can 100% be an example and agree with exactly what you just said and how real that is. It, it's it's so real. And and this is the principle that goes beyond art. This is not, you, didn't, you gave a masterclass uh, of just, principles and values that go beyond art. You did it through the sensibility of your superpower and what you do within this art world. But these are principles that go beyond and they go into every industry, every craft, every type of engagement. How are you spending time with the people and the things that you either want to be a part of your ecosystem and your community? And then how do you become an extension of spreading that and advocating that, <coughs> right? is is the beauty of how things really grow and build. It, it shouldn't be on the shoulders of just the artist or the service or the brand. <clears throat> it then becomes part of the responsibility of the others who are now taking it on as, this is a part of me now too. I believe in this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was beautiful how you, how you articulated. So the future of black art and artists, what, what do you wanna see? What, what, what's, what's, how do you want to ensure sustained progress, inclusivity, um, and empowerment, whatever the descriptives are? I would love to get a sense from you. What's the vision you want to see? Because as a, cur a curator, you have some of the, the keys to do so. I think if you're thinking about the ecosystem in general, obviously more curators of color, um, whether they be affiliated with institutions or independent, but having the resources to kind of do this full time. You know, I'm a little different because I come from a marketing background, you know, so I can figure it out. That's right. Not everybody has that skill set, right? So I think, you know, for me, even just something as simple as like more residencies for curators to just have time to think and get stipends and research. Uh, we need more writers 
um, of color, like critics. You know, it's not enough to like, oh, I, I like this watch. It's nice. Like, no, like, be critical of it. You know, because right. it's only through like critical feedback that we all grow to right. have other points of consideration and access, right? Um, I think you're seeing shifts. There's still so much work that needs to be done, but on the institutional side, more of us in decision-making positions. Position. Um, but I think more of us who are conscious because I'm not under the illusion that just because a black and brown person is in that seat, that they it's know the right person. That's right. You know, so that's right. The right people in, in that seat. Um, from an education standpoint, you know, more programs. Whether they, I mean, obviously, it'd be great to have them formally, but even if they're informally, so kids are getting access to arts from an early age. You unfortunately can't just rely on the family because if the family structure, if that's not what hap what's happening in the home, at least let them have access to that at school, right? Whether that's after school program, um, there's so many different kind of programs now through charter schools, um, and I think in terms of the artists, I mean, building that entrepreneurial spirit, being advocates for yourself, but then also being advocates for other artists. You know, like if you got some momentum and some energy, it's just like it's not apples to apples, but it's like when the artist blows up and then. They do their joint venture deal and then they're signing other artists. Like not apples to apples, but like bring other people through the pipeline. Yeah, bring it bring it along. We gotta bring along. It's it's not just yeah. us. Significance is bringing the value to others. We we have to exactly. bring people along. Man, let me tell you something. You know, we usually close these episodes with 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 asking, you know, what are the three seeds you'd want to leave to the stewards of culture moving forward? But you've planted so many seeds in this conversation that I feel like they are flowing all throughout. Um, and I'm so grateful of your transparency. I'm so grateful that that this is the path and the journey that you're on and that you're the representative, one of, an amazing one in this space for this culture to truly grow in a way that it deserves to and have the impact that it deserves to have. Um, and I just want to thank you personally for, for sharing but more importantly, again, being unapologetic about ensuring that this has the the appropriate platform and space. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate the invitation and the time. Yeah, bro. Thank you, Thank you Brett. We truly appreciate your support because it helps us fulfill our mission of promoting cultural awareness and personal development. Please click the subscribe button below to help ensure and solidify our mission.